Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. My book release day is quickly approaching, you guys, and I'd love, love, love for you to grab a copy. I know I'm not the only one who's ever thought, gosh, why can't I get it together? Or maybe put another way, I'm such a mess. I've really struggled with believing that everyone else has things figured out, whether that's at work or in relationships with others or in parenting or just following Jesus better. We can compare so many things in life, but there is hope for us, I promise. And I talk all about it in my new book. Go to jamieivy.com slash book to pre-order Why Can't I Get It Together. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, we have a great show in store for you today. My friend Lauren McAvee is here. She's the founder and visionary of Stand for Life, and she's the author of lots and lots of books, which most recently she released a book called Beyond Our Control. She wrote it with her husband, Michael, and we talk about that today. And oh my gosh, I told her in this interview that I listened to her book on, on Inaudible last fall. And there were so many times where I was like, oh my gosh, I would have put this quote in my new book because a lot of the same conversations in her book are happening in my new book. And again, I say it all the time, I think God is really doing something when there's a lot of the same type of themes happening in culture, in leadership, in ministry. And so the conversation you're going to hear today is so great. And Lauren and her husband have endured lots of things out of their control. One of the major stories throughout this book was about um, something that happened with a son of theirs. Uh, And so I'll let her tell the story, and it's in the book, but it's super encouraging to hear them talk about how they walked through something really out of their control and how they saw God show up for that. You guys, speaking of my book, it is almost the month of February, which the month of February is when my book releases February 13th. And so I'm super excited. I want to tell you about a couple of things that I think you should know about. Number one, if you want to come see me on my book tour, I'm hitting just a handful of places. And it's just kind of like a last minute spur of the moment. Let me come to these few cities and see as I can meet as many of you as I can. Go to jamieivy.com slash tour. Uh, Your ticket includes a copy of the book and you can come in and hang out and we'll have a really great evening. So go to jamieivy.com slash tour. And then last but not least, the book is on sale wherever you can get it. Uh, These are pre-orders. So the book releases February 13th. But as I say all the time, uh, when you pre-order from Amazon, at least you get the lowest price and it ships um, when it releases and you don't get charged until then. 
But I want to tell you a couple things coming up. I'm going to be at First Woodway, which is outside of Waco this weekend. So I hope I get to see some of you guys there. And then next week I start the book tour. So excited. So check it out. I hope you can get some tickets. And then don't forget, the end of this month, the end of February at least, there's If Gathering. And I really enjoy that weekend. It's one of my favorite things. And I get to see and meet a lot of you there. So I look forward to that. You guys, here is my conversation with Lauren. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, thanks for having me. It's fun to be back. It's fun to be back. I was like, welcome back to the happy hour. Thanks for coming on again. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but the the first time I was on was February of 2020. And I flew out there to see you. And that was my last trip. Unbeknownst to me, that happened to be my last trip. The last time I flew before, you know, the long COVID break from travel. Wow. Because we didn't know at that time, but COVID, you know, all my trips that were scheduled in March got canceled. And so my last pre-COVID trip was uh, out to see you. (laughs) That makes me very happy because I think we can probably all remember our last thing before, you know, March of 2020, the last, whatever, the last date night, the last trip, the last, whatever, (laughs) um, our, you know, my kids went on spring break and never went back to school. It was just like the craziest season. That Uh. was, yeah, that was right. Yeah. That was a wild man. The whole, the whole thing was crazy. So crazy. (laughs) It's funny that we're talking about that because you and Michael released a book in 2023 called Beyond Our Control. And I mean, hello, if COVID is not sum up that up. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and we started actually the concept for the book, January of 2020. We like started writing out the concept for it and that it would be on control. And obviously didn't know that COVID was going to happen and the whole world would really be wrestling with this concept of what it means to really not have control of our lives, or at least not as much control as we maybe thought we could have in our lives. So uh, yeah, God in his uh, providence was working on that theme in us before the entire world left. (laughs) That's so so crazy. Well, Lauren, um, in case people didn't hear the last episode, introduce yourself, tell us what you do, where you live, family, all the things. Yeah. So I live in Oklahoma city. So just uh, the, uh, you know, neighbor state to where you're at and yep. lived here like most my entire life and married to my husband, Michael. We've been married for 14 years. We have two kids and um, I work at the Hobby Lobby corporate office, but I get to work in the ministry investment side, which is kind of the philanthropy office that handles some of the um, corporate giving. And it's just a lot of fun. I get to do that as well as lead at a nonprofit that I founded in um, working in the human dignity space. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. We got all my husband founded a nonprofit that he runs that puts on experiences for groups, a lot of them going to the Museum of the Bible or DC. Um, So they put on experiences and trips that deepen faith. So they really um, work with uh, whether it's college groups, church groups, families, people that want to have an experience together. Uh, for the sake of, you know, understanding the Bible better, growing in their faith, and they put on these really fun uh, ways to do that. So he's doing that, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, a couple things about what you said. Number one, I love that you said in the dignity space. Is that how you described uh, Sam? Yeah, the dignity human dignity. Space? Uh-huh. 
Yes. I'm going to use that <laughs> from now on because yeah. you and I both probably feel the tension that we have sometimes around the words like pro-life and pro-choice yes, and all the exactly. things because they bring so much baggage. I love the yep. human dignity space. Thank you for that language, Lauren. I will use that going forward. <laughs> and then I also want to say this. You work for Hobby Lobby now. And I learned in the book that Michael said in one of the chapters that he read, because I listened to it, um, that you interned at Hobby Lobby. And I was like, well, how'd she, that was an easy job for her to score. You've been a Hobby Lobby girl your whole life. (laughs) So tell everybody that. Yeah. Yes. So I, so, you know, my grandpa being the founder and still CEO of Hobby Lobby has given me some in route inroads for (laughs) getting a job there. But my family was always really intense about, you know, everyone that if they do work at the family business, they have to actually do the job and be good at it. There's no handouts. And Mm. so, yeah, so I, you know, didn't necessarily have to go through the formal job application process that other people did. It was more like, Hey dad, uh, can I, (laughs) can I work somewhere? I'm looking for a job. And, um, so the first job that I had was for Hobby Lobby working at the corporate office interning for just basically any department that needed someone to just kind of do some help. Mm-hmm. And so I would intern at real estate doing data entry one summer. And then I interned in the for the buyers one summer, which they're the ones that buy all the products for the store that go into the stores. And so it was again, like, you know, stacking things for them organizing products that had come in. So just kind of any random odd jobs that they had at corporate. I was, you know, up for it because I was like, I just want to get to have a job and earn some money. And then eventually whenever I could drive, so those jobs were all before I could drive. So I would just ride with my dad to the Uh office and work and then ride home with him. Once I could drive, I started working at the store, the Hobby Lobby store near me. And so Christmas breaks and summer breaks um, from the time I was 16, I would work at a Hobby Lobby store. And again, just doing like whatever job they had for me. So Usually that meant stocking shelves or unpacking product and uh, sweeping glitter off the floor, which was like a constant process at Christmas. So much glitter. Glitter is everywhere. (laughs) I love it. So, yes. Lauren, I know that you and Michael wrote a book recently called Beyond Our Control, Let Go of Unmet Expectations, Overcome Anxiety, and Discover Intimacy with God. And I listened to it over the last week. And I want to tell you is that (laughs) I have a book coming out in uh, February called Why Can't I Get It Together? Kick Unrealistic (laughs) Expectations to the Curb and Rest in God's Truth. And the whole time I was listening to y'all's book, I was like, well, I would have quoted that if I had put that in my book. (laughs) It was just so great. But it was this moment that I had, I know when I was listening to the book, I was like, man, I I do feel like, God, I've seen this in the last, I've only been a writer for a handful of years, but I've seen it happen a lot of a lot of books coming out around the same theme. Yeah. And to me, what it has always said to me is like, there's a felt need that is Mm. happening in our communities, in the world, in the Christian community. And God is just lining up people to encourage and point to truth in it. And I can see that with this expectation idea. So I I really, really loved Jill's book and it was fun to listen to you, Michael, read it as well. I want to ask you if you're willing, if you can talk a little bit about some of this control and unmet unmet expectations around your son. And I texted you, Lauren, when I was listening to it and I was just (laughs) 
<laughs> sobbing in my car. I mean, I just yeah. was feeling your emotions. And the day we're recording this full disclosure just yesterday was the two year anniversary mm-hmm. of the story you're going to tell us. And so yeah. it's tender to you. It's even tender to me after just reading your book. And so I would just love if you'd walk through that story because that circumstance was so much out of your control. You had so mm-hmm. many expectations that didn't happen. And although that is not going to be the same story for everyone listening, we can all put ourselves in there in some way. And so yeah. would you talk to us a little bit about Ezra? Yeah, that's right. That the way I like the way you said that, that even though our story is not going to be m- most people's story, there are things I think that we learned that can be applied across the board. So, and that's what the hope mm-hmm. was for the book, right? Is we were using our personal experience, but people walk through their own versions of expectations for life, losses in life. Um, and we all have to navigate that. So for us, it did really focus on our experience with our son, Ezra, and trying to a- adopt um, him. And so my husband and I had, um, you know, whenever we got married, we had always thought we would pursue adoption. I at least did. He, my And my husband knew that because I come from a family that I'm a third generation adoptive parent. So my grandparents had adopted, wow. my parents have adopted um, my sister, and then now we have uh, adopted as well. So whenever we were pursuing um, our, our international adoption with our daughter, that took a really long time. It took seven years for us to get our daughter Zion. Um, we finally brought her home. She had cancer. And so we walked through that. And once she was in remission from cancer, then we started pursuing a domestic adoption. And so the domestic adoption process is what led us to our son, Ezra, and um, and his birth mom, who we had an open relationship with. So we were chosen by birth mom to parent Ezra, and we brought him home from the hospital. And we were going through the process of all of the kind of legal things that happen in an adoption. And things were going forward as as was expected, although slower than normal, because this was actually during COVID. So our son was born the end of 2020. And so courts were still slow to to schedule dates and things often got disrupted because of various COVID related issues, as people may remember. And so things were taking a while to just go through the normal process of a domestic adoption. Um, A couple months into having Ezra, we found out that our case might be a little more complicated than they originally thought, and um, there needed to be a specific type of court date for Ezra's case, and the court took 12 months before they were finally hearing Ezra's case. So for most of that, we thought that Ezra would be staying with us forever, and so we had you know, we had a son that we were mom and dad to. He called us mom and dad. He, um, you know, was a part of our family. He, our, our, our daughter, Zion, um, of course, thought of him as her brother and he was her brother. So we have a son. We are waiting in this season of, you know, waiting for finalization that took a lot longer than we expected. And so court finally happens in December. And the judge that we got was a judge who had never made a ruling on an adoption case. And so he was new to the family side of 
being in court. And so he reviewed our case and did something very unusual that our, our agency, who's been in the work of domestic adoptions in Oklahoma for, uh, you know, decades and decades and decades, they had never seen a judge do what happened in our case, which was that um, instead of ruling on the case, he dismissed it altogether, which meant that instead of there being a transition time for our son, Ezra, um, we the decision was that Ezra would leave our home. And so we had to hand him off. But instead of there being a transition time, which is typical for an adoption uh, situation, if there's a transfer of, of, of the child, for them to do things so that the child, it's not an abrupt you know, uh, loss. Yeah. And in our case, that was, that didn't happen. They told us we had two and a half hours to say goodbye forever to our son and then hand him off. Um, and so we, we had a son for 12 months and then in a matter of two and a half hours, we had to say goodbye to him forever and haven't heard from him since or seen him. And it was such a unique loss because it was not a loss to death, um, but it was a real loss that, you know, I, this was a ch- child that I cared for every day. I will, every morning I got him out of bed and got him ready and took care of him all day. And, um, and all at once he was gone from our lives forever. Mm. And, um, I, I remember having to explain that to our daughter, Zion, who was the hardest thing because she, you know, she was four at the time and had no context for having to lose a sibling. And she had already had to walk through a lot. She obviously in the international adoption had had to say goodbye to her, uh, anything, everything that was familiar to her in, um, in her first year and a half. And then she walked cancer and hospitalizations and then, um, you know, had to say goodbye to her brother and having to try and explain that to her was, uh, so painful because it just, kids shouldn't have to say goodbye to their siblings. Um, and so that was the experience of our life that, I mean, certainly walking through cancer with Zion was another one of those, but that one, Mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways ended, I mean, the, the, the pain of walking through that was still painful and like still was a lot for us to process. Um, but it ended with remission. And so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to end in that happy place with her, um, challenges was, was, we were so grateful for that. And Mm -hmm. then with Ezra, it was walking through again, this season of uncertainty, but then ended with us having to say goodbye, um, caused us to, wrestle through, you know, the things that we believe whenever you're, Mm. you just, you don't expect to walk through something like that. And so I think whenever you hit those pain points of life that kind of knock you off your feet, it really causes you to evaluate the foundation you were standing on. And the things that you said you believed in the good times certainly come into question in your darkest Mm. moments of life. And so a lot of the book is us trying to share how we wrestled through that season of Mm -hmm. questioning things um, and and the control that we thought we had in life, realizing, okay, if we don't have as much control as we wish we had and thought we had, uh, where does that leave us in terms of trusting 
a God who does have all control, mm. yet allowed this to happen in our yeah. lives. And and obviously, yeah. you know, the character of God. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's one of the things I loved about this book from you and Michael is it was very story driven, which I'm drawn to. I, I love stories. I think they're really great. But it was also married really well with theology and teaching. And here's why we believe what we believe. And some of the things that you guys wrote about, I believe too. And yet they're still very, very hard for me to believe. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the sovereignty of God is a very hard doctrine for me to wrap my brain around. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said, I remember I was on a walk when I was listening to this and I pulled out my phone to write it down. I believe it was in a section you were reading. Which did you read the chapters you wrote? Is that how that worked? Or did you just randomly yeah. read chapters? Yeah, okay, I read, got it. Yeah, okay. I just read the chapters we wrote. Yeah. Okay. So it was you talking and you were talking about you know, talking like that God is good. And mm -hmm. I believe you said something like, I was thinking that God was only good when he was what I defined as good. Yeah. And yeah. I think I want to ask you about that with this specific trial, because you you talk about this in the book as well, I believe, is at around the same time that you guys lost Ezra, your sister also lost a child yep. uh, to death, which you kind of talk about. There's some similarities, even though there's a lot of differences. So your family just walked through a lot of immense stuff in two, three years. Yeah. And so 
from the outside looking in, we're all like, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. How do you still feel? How do you still come to your, to be able to say that God is still good, even if this Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good? Yeah, it is not easy. It's a journey, right? I mean, so much of, I think our faith, whenever we walk through trials is a journey of wrestling to the ground, what we maybe have said we believe or cognitively know that we've said is true mm-hmm. versus what we feel to be true and kind of uh, working through the process of trying to sync those up. Um, mm. And yeah, as I said in the book that you just quoted is, yeah, I, I, certainly I thought before all of these pain points of my life that God was good and I didn't necessarily have a lot of reason to question that. Right. And then walking mm-hmm. through, you know, my daughter as a one and a half year old being diagnosed with cancer and having surgery and hospitalizations and chemotherapy and her feeling bad. And then having a son that we had to say goodbye to. And then watching my sister lose her baby, uh, my nephew Oliver. Um, that is not good. And so mm. it's that, you know, if, if God is in all control and is sovereign, yet he's allowing these really painful things in my life. What does that mean about what kind of Mm -hmm. God he is that, that these are happening and looking at scripture. I mean, my husband and I through everything just continued to have to point ourselves towards scripture and our community and our church point us to scripture to really, you know, all truth that is the truest of truth. It's from scripture. Um, Our emotions are not the most true things about us. Our experiences are not the most true things about us. Like what God says in his word is the most true thing that, um, that I can be confident in. Mm -hmm. And so when I didn't feel that God was good, I had to look to scripture and say, okay, but what does the Mm -hmm. Bible say? What, what does God say about himself and his character? And I'm so grateful that the Lord in his kindness gave us so many examples in scripture of people who also went through suffering and the Lord Mm -hmm. showed in his bigger picture what he was doing. And so the, the obvious example, probably a lot of people think of is Job. We see in Job's life, Mm -hmm. um, he was seen as, you know, honoring to the Lord. And so we, we can know that in our suffering, it doesn't mean like, oh, this is a, necessarily God is punishing you for something. I mean, suffering can happen because of that, but it can also just happen. Even like bad things can happen to good people, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as the saying goes. And so in Job's case, he was seen as upright before the Lord, yet he still had suffering come his way. He lost Mm -hmm. everything. He lost his children, his possessions, his health. And in Job's instance, he stayed faithful to the Lord and trusted in the Lord, even in that. And Mm -hmm. then I also think about Joseph, who also went through a lot of suffering. He was sold into slavery. Um, His brothers wanted to kill him. He was falsely accused and thrown into prison, you know, all of these things. Um, In Job's instance, he never got to have that moment in life where it all kind of tied back together and he mm-hmm. could look back and be like, oh, this is why. Whereas right. I think Joseph's story feels a little easier for me because it's like, oh, he had that moment where, you know, he's mm-hmm. been put in the position of power and then his family comes back and he saves his family because he had, you know, mm-hmm. God had used him to save his family. And he and Joseph says like what God meant 
for or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it's like a very mm-hmm. satisfying uh, example in scripture yeah. um, of that suffering that God used for good. But that's not always mm-hmm. the way it works, right? Job's yeah. in Job's instance, like he didn't have that moment that the like aha moment later in life. And yes, like yeah. God gave him things again later in life, but it's still, he never got the answer to why for the suffering. We can read Job mm-hmm. now and we're blessed by that. And his mm-hmm. story has been a blessing to believers for thousands of years. But Job didn't right. know that that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. He wasn't de- seeing behind the curtain to that that's how God was going to use his story. Yeah. So in that, I mean, looking at scripture, we can see that God in his sovereignty was mm-hmm. using Job's suffering, his pain, for his purposes and his and for God's glory mm-hmm. and for Job's good. Um, yeah. Because look at how, like I said, thousands of years the Lord has used Job's story. I mean, we are still reading that today because it is scripture mm-hmm. and and gleaning from that God um, and what yeah. his character is and that he is good. And so um, I think for for me, it was continuing to look to scripture to see, okay, God, you are up to something bigger than me. And my mm-hmm. pain is seen and you care. Mm. Um, but I also don't get to see and know all of the things that you are doing in my life and in Ezra's life um, and what you are up to uh, in the middle of my pain. And so I have to choose mm. to trust the Lord that he will use this for his purposes and his glory and my good, um, even when that's hard hard to feel like that is a good thing, but God is good. Mm -hmm. And so we can trust him um, um, in that. Yeah. It's good. You know, I think that there's this like tension that we feel sometimes with the doctrines of sovereignty and providence and the characters of God and who he is that we think, okay, well, I'm going to choose to believe this. Therefore, when quote unquote bad things happen, it's just, it is what it is. And we trust you, God, and we just smile and we carry on. And that's just hard to do, you know? And I think there's also a real tendency to kind of go to the other side where we just lament, God, where are you? You have left me. You've forgotten me, which we see David say that in the Psalms a lot. And he usually turns it back around and be like, okay, but you know, here you are. And so I think I want to ask you as you walk through these hard things, what does it look like to really be sorrowful, really mm-hmm. have grief, really lament over the things that are happening, and at the same time still trust God. Because I think sometimes mm-hmm. we think it's two choices. Pick your choice. Mm-hmm. Are you going to trust or are you going to be sad? Like pick one. And yes. I truly believe you can do both. And so yeah. how has that yeah. looked for you? Yeah. I <laughs> I remember whenever Zion was uh, first diagnosed with cancer um, and, you know, sometimes well-meaning people would say things like, oh, like God is good. It's going to be okay. And I was like, okay, but what if it's not like people were wanting to quickly Mm -hmm. try and ease, I think the pain we were feeling because of this diagnosis, but really it came out as them invalidating how scared I felt Mm -hmm. as if I shouldn't Mm. be, like couldn't be as scared, obviously for my daughter's life. Um, And so I, I, you know, I always, try and encourage people when they've asked me like, Hey, how, you know, my friend is walking through a loss. I have people ask me this often. Uh, how can I be there for them? Or how can I be there for my friend who's walking through something that's hard because they, mm-hmm. they, you know, they've know that I've shared my story of being the person walking through the hard thing. Yeah. Um, and so I always encourage people 
not to be quick to try and give like the little anecdotes to make them feel better, but uh-huh. to really just listen, like to sit and listen, like so be there, um, you know, validate how they're feeling. Um, and I, I think in Christian world, that can be a hard thing for us because we can often feel tempted to, as you were mentioning earlier, just kind of like point to the hope and say like, it's all going to be okay someday. You're like, Jesus is our mm-hmm. hope, which is true. And, you know, thank mm-hmm. the Lord for his promises. But yeah. we were also, we are also created in God's image and, and have emotions and have very real negative emotions as well as positive mm-hmm. emotions. And so it does a disservice to us as human beings and who God created us as, as emotional beings, when we try to um, diminish the very real negative emotions that we'll feel. And so mm-hmm. I am like exhibit A of the one who is very bad at doing this. <laughs> uh, so bad that um, I, so after, after Zion's cancer was in remission, I just like, great, awesome, like moved on with life and didn't necessarily take time to sit with the fact Mm. that I had just walked through months and months and months of fearing for my daughter's life and all the stress and anxiety Mm -hmm. and fear that can come with that. Um, And so fast forward nine months after Zion was in remission, I ended up in the emergency room um, because I was having a massive panic attack. And so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned this in my book, but the the body does keep a score, and and yep. if you don't take the time to deal with those emotions that are in you, they don't just go away. Like they're there, That's and so right. they will find yep. a way to manifest themselves. And so for me, my undealt with negative emotions, which was again this fear of losing my daughter and, mm. and the sadness of that and the pain of that that I never dealt with, came out in the form of a mm. panic attack that um, was like chest pain, heart difficulty breathing. Um, You know, I thought I was going to die. So that (laughs) was such a helpful, uh, Mm. painful (laughs) season for me to realize like, oh, okay, like, yes, you, you know, can like have hope and we can just be grateful for the Lord's faithfulness, Mm -hmm. but also like he created me with those emotions and that was for a reason. And so uh, having space to navigate that. And so for me, that meant, you know, having a safe community that I could process through the real fears that that I had mm-hmm. experienced and having um, just the honesty in my prayers to the Lord about how hard that was mm-hmm. and, and taking the time to make space for the negative emotions and the grief um, mm-hmm. was something that was really important for me to learn. And I'm, I'm grateful that... <laughs> The Lord did have me to learn that as we then entered the season of Ezra, because I, I think I had, mm. I was more equipped then to realize the need to process yeah. through that loss in a healthier way uh, with mm-hmm. Ezra that didn't uh, end me up back in the emergency room. So uh, yeah, with for, not dealing for, with those. Yeah, so for people that right are in the, in the grief, it's like you can still have your faith and your beliefs that the Lord is good. And that the Lord will make all things right someday and believe that the Lord created you with those Mm. emotions and create space to process those in a healthy way. Yeah. (laughs) 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. That's so good. I'm such a realist, Lauren, that... Um, I think sometimes Christians want to give the best advice and the best advice would be like, um, like, let's use your example with walking through what you walk through with Zion with cancer is the best advice Christians would give. Well, I think it's kind of a cop out, but they'd be like, Lauren and Michael, don't worry. God is good. He's going to take care of her and everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I, that, those kind of advice that really bothers me because I'm like, (laughs) you're, you don't know that. You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. Yeah. And so I don't need you to tell me everything's going to be okay because you can't guarantee that to me. Um, what I actually love to hear is let's say that I was the parent to a child walking through a disease. I would want to hear, Hey, we actually don't know what's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if your child is going to be okay. Like, I wish that I could say that. But what we do know is that God is not going to leave you no matter yeah. what. Yeah. And that is so much more comforting to me. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's my personality or if it's yes. just everyone. No, exactly. Yeah. Rather than someone trying to convince me that everything's right. going to be okay. When I, you don't know. Like, like I know that you no, don't thank know you. that. So no. <laughs> only God knows. And no, you're not God. You. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I've shared this story, I think on here before, but I, when my kids were younger, struggled a lot with like what happens if one of my kids were to die. Mm-hmm. And one of my sons went through not the same as I'm, but several, several surgeries, lots of stuff. And so that was a, a trying time for me as a mom. You understand that. And I was just getting so overwhelmed and anxious and just constantly fearing this. And I remember I was talking to my friend Angela once and she's like, well, what if you just took it all the way to the end? Like, what if you took this fear all the way to the end and Mm -hmm. you lost one of your children to death or disease or whatever, or disease or accident or something? And she goes, what, what is, what do you find still to be true? Yeah. And I'll never forget. I was like, well, I find that God is still good, that he's still in charge, that he's still on his throne. And that was so comforting to me because it made me kind of have to grapple with if the worst thing did happen, where would what would I still think about God? And yeah, I'm only hoping by the grace of God that when something like that does happen, I could still stand true sure. on that. But that was actually really comforting for me because it was like, okay, I am out of control here. I don't have as much control as I think. So what's still mm-hmm. true about God? And I think Jesus talks about that a lot in the scriptures of like, what are you standing on? And so what is your, what is your, like, are you standing on the rock or sand? You know, that, that, right. that he talks about. And I think that is something that I think is so important. And you guys talk about this. I want to ask you this, um, you and Michael walk through all of this together. And so a lot of us mm-hmm. have individual trauma and individual trials and 
I'm certain that you guys did before you got married individually as well, but you've walked through a lot as a married couple over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. What is your advice to other people who are walking through something extremely difficult? Like how did you keep your marriage intact? How did you love each other? Well, how did you allow each other to grieve when you needed to grieve? What did that look like for you guys? And maybe even what did you learn along the way? Yeah, I, uh, it was, it was definitely a learning (laughs) process for me to realize that, I I mean, I, I would have known this, but everyone grieves differently. And, Mm -hmm. um, so having to figure out for myself, what, what, what do I look like grieving? Cause I didn't even really know Mm. how to grieve myself in, in most of it. In most of the kind of darkest days, like, man, I don't know how to do this right. I don't know how to even make it through the day. Um, and then also, you know, Michael is my husband is here and he's grieving at the exact same time, the same loss. And so, as well as our daughter Zion, I mean, she obviously had lost her brother whenever we were all grieving the loss of Ezra. And so the thing that I found most helpful was to just give a lot of grace and my husband, Mm. same, he just gave me a lot of grace and, you know, there were moments that in the grief that I would feel it more intensely and he would maybe feel things were a little lighter. And then he would be really in a moment that he just needed to, to go and have a minute. And I was maybe able to step in and help take care of Zion more. Um, and so we kind of had to figure out this dance of, of both having to deal with our own grief as well as then care for each other Mm. who were in their own grief. And so it was lots of grace. I mean, I just can't say that enough. I mean, putting myself in his shoes and, and and, which was easy to do because I was feeling the loss as well and knowing like, okay, like I've needed space. So I know that he needs that too. So I'm going to be able to, you know, help out here so that he can have that space. And um, yeah. and continuing to lean into each other. I mean, you know, we, like I said, we each processed things differently. And so it was just talking through that with each other and talk, being honest about how we were feeling about different things and, and then continuing to press into, um, wanting to love and care for each other in that. And so it can, I think it can be easy to sometimes try and, uh, isolate for, because we feel like people aren't going to understand. And I, 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 at least that was a temptation for me. Um, but it was continuing to trust that, no, I I know that the Lord made us for community Mm. and made us for one another to, to live Mm -hmm. in life with other, um, believers and, and in our marriage, like we were intended to be there for one another. And so I have to, you know, share and, and, and allow him to bear that burden with me and, and vice versa. Um, cause sometimes it's hard to ask other people to carry your burdens with you. At least it is for me. Like I kind of can want to be self-sufficient and think like, no, like I got mm-hmm. this. I don't want to burden someone else with, you know, carrying this mm-hmm. pain, uh, with me, but it takes, I think an act of humility to say, yeah, I'm going to let someone else enter into this with me and I'm going to have yeah. to ask for help or I'm going to have to ask for, yeah. um, someone to be in it with me. And like, that's what God intended, right. For, for us is to bear one totally. another's burdens. And so, yeah, yeah, it's continuing to lean in and have a lot of grace. 
I think that can be, we can take that bear one another burdens, you know, scripture and talk about it, be like, okay, community, girlfriends, how do we do this? And we can like kind of, for us, the people that are married, we can kind of go like, wait, does this apply in marriage too? And <laughs> yes, yeah. like, you yeah. know, we're, we're a community of believers in our house and you and Michael and Aaron and I, and I think sometimes we can be really good at carrying other people's burdens around us, like our girlfriends and our kids, mm-hmm. even our family members. And then we can look at our spouse, the person we sleep next to every night and be like, I'm not carrying your burdens. Get yourself together. You know, yeah. like, come on, <laughs> you right? can do this. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of grace. So there's a lot of tenderness in walking through that. And mm-hmm. I think for Aaron and I, when we walk through hard things, one of the things I'm still trying to get better at, Lauren, I don't know if you're bad at this or not, and I'm getting better, but it's for me to verbally say to Aaron, I just need to tell you how I'm feeling. Yeah. And then Aaron is a fixer. And so I have to oh, yeah. say to him, I don't need you to fix anything. Like mm-hmm. I, this is me just talking. So just take it for what it is, <laughs> but really allowing him. So then, like you said, when you had that panic attack, which I've had that with anxiety is like things will come out. And so I've had mm-hmm. to learn, like, let me just try to get ahead of this and tell mm-hmm. him how I'm feeling uh, about yeah. a trial that we're walking through or something. It's been. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it is it's, hard. It is. It, and and even just like asking for the little things like in marriage, like, hey, um, e- even like planning ahead, like, hey, I'm having a hard day. Can you plan to, you know, help with whatever X, Y or Z tonight? Mm-hmm. And you, I, yeah. I don't know why that's sometimes so hard to communicate. It's like Michael can't read my mind. So like, right. it takes me <laughs> exactly. being willing to figure out what I need, which sometimes is like a hard part of the process and then verbalizing yep. it. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, asking for the help. Yeah. <laughs> I always say, let's set our people up for success. Tell them what we need. Tell them what we're feeling. Like let's set them yes. up for success and not try to have them figure it out. Um, I want to ask you this. I, I am going to, I would love to ask you what you're reading as well, but I first want you to tell us that you guys have a new child that you have added to yeah. your family <laughs> since all of this. And so tell us about that. We have. Yes. So once Ezra left our house, um, we took a minute to, to, you know, get through the intense of the intense, most intense aspects of the grief. But then we opened our home again to another adoption placement. So, um, a domestic adoption and 13 months later, a little girl was born and we found about out about her the day she was born and went to the hospital a few hours later. And we were there until we brought her home. So, um, yeah, we, uh, in January, uh, 2023 had another daughter. And so Zara is, uh, so sweet and such a sweet baby. She like ironically has red hair, which I have red hair. So that's <laughs> a, a crazy coincidence, yeah. but, um, yeah, Zion loves having a sister and it's been really sweet to to have our two girls and get to watch them mm-hmm. uh, be sisters and and be able to know that this will be a forever sibling um, for Zion. Yeah. So, yeah, we're very that. grateful. Very grateful. I love that. I remember I was with you last January uh, towards yeah. the end of the month, maybe. Or yes. I mean, I think that it had been like yes. really yeah. soon since she had joined your family. <laughs> yeah. Z- uh, Zara, our daughter, was 10 days old when I was there with you in D.C. Yeah. It was like, yeah. you know, my biggest work event of the year happened to be like 10 days after we found out that we had a baby. So. Yeah, I know. You're <laughs> like, okay, God, crazy. can we have waited? <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh I love it so much. Oh, um, okay, Lauren, I would love to hear what are you reading these days? Yeah, so I, 
I'm I'm a PhD student, so most of my reading is like <laughs> usually real lame academic stuff, but mm-hmm. I, that I find interesting. But the books yeah. I'm reading right now are actually maybe slightly interesting to other people. I'm reading. Uh, well, I just finished reading Louis Perry's book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. So Perry is coming from a secular perspective, writing about the observations of how the secular revolution has actually been really harmful for women. And she ends up coming to the conclusion at the end of her book, uh, saying that she sees that the benefit of a long-term monogamous relationship is actually best for women and societies, which is, you know, for, for believers, it's like, well, yeah, that's... Hello, right. we knew this. Yeah, but from <laughs> yes. a secular point, that's but not she always common. Admits it from a secular perspective. And she kind of wrestles through, like, you know, this can often be associated with like the Christian perspective and what they mm-hmm. try and push. But actually, like, let's look at some of the data mm-hmm. and, and, you know, sociologically look at that. So, very interesting book. Um, I'm also then reading Love Thy Body, which is from uh, Nancy Percy, and she's a believer. And she is writing about some similar themes, but looking at um, embodiment, how women um, have uh, navigate issues around the sexual revolution, such as abortion, Mm -hmm. pornography, um, trafficking, some of these things that have all been impacted by cultures pushed toward the sexual revolution from a Mm -hmm. biblical uh, theological perspective. So Nancy Percy is a believer. So it's interesting to read these two books kind of, um, at the same time, one being from a secular perspective, analyzing some of this, Mm. and then one from a theological perspective. And this is helpful for me because my, uh, dissertation I'm writing, I'm I'm getting a PhD in ethics and policy, studying, uh, uh, issues around women's reproductive health. And so the impact of, um, culture and the sexual revolution Mm. and how that's impacted women around issues of reproductive health is uh, interesting and and something that I'm, you know, having to do some research in. So that's what I'm reading right now. (laughs) I love it. It does sound so interesting. You know, I wanted to say this too, is you founded Stand for Life and um, this is your human dignity nonprofit, which Mm -hmm. I'm just honored to have been a part of in small ways and love the work you are doing. And one of the things I think, I don't know if I've told you this, I don't know that I've said this privately, but I said this to you public. Uh, I mean, I know I said this to you privately. I don't know if I said it publicly, that when you guys invited me last year to speak at the Stanford Life Conference, mm-hmm. um, I was really hesitant because I don't really enjoy being around pro-life events. I am staunchly yeah, pro-life sure. from womb to tomb, all the things. Sure. Um, often the narrative can be very... Uh, disparaging to women. And, mm-hmm. um, I just don't think it's helpful. I think it's more hurtful than it is. And so I was hesitant. And so then I said, well, can I get on a phone call with someone? And I talked to Elizabeth who, uh, works there. And I was really, really, really excited about the work mm-hmm. you guys are doing. And I remember as I was reading this book, Lauren, beyond our control, you talk about this kind of makes me teary to talk about Ezra's birth mom. Yeah. And, when you had mm-hmm. the realizations of what she was up against, oh man, it yeah. just really showed you a lot about how. You, I think you said in here, no woman wants to have an abortion, yeah, you know, but we have yeah. these circumstances around us, and so I'm just wondering, and I know we're 
hitting out of time here, but I just thought about it. I'm just wondering, how has all of that come full circle for you mm-hmm. with like conversations with Ezra's birth mom, the work you're doing for your PhD program, the dignity space that you're in with Sam for Life? T- yeah. Where did all this come <laughs> from and how does it all come together? Yeah, you know, I whenever I started embarking on this journey that led me towards founding Stand for Life and that led me towards the PhD uh, topic that I'm in, I didn't know necessarily that that's where I was heading. So I guess mm. for anyone that's listening who's like, I don't have my life plan figured out, like, that's okay, because I didn't. And, you know, the things I'm doing now, I'm like, wow, I had no idea I was heading this direction, even mm-hmm. when I was pursuing it. So, um, you know, the Lord guides our steps and praise him for that. I, I, through our adoption process, absolutely saw how the Lord was shaping me in ways that I couldn't have been shaped had I not been willing Mm. to step in and say yes to um, pursuing adoption, which we felt the Lord called us to, um, as well as then allow um, myself to learn from the women that we got to interact with for, Mm. um, for a number. So other than having Ezra, we had an open relationship with that birth mom. We also had another very short placement that we had an open relationship with birth mom. And then that one, we we didn't end up in adoption either. Um, we got, I got to know multiple birth moms who were just walking through pregnancy and, and having a baby and figuring out how to do that in the midst of some of the worst circumstances that people mm-hmm. can kind of imagine women having um, mm-hmm. an unplanned pregnancy in. And I was, you know, getting to know these women and hearing their stories and hearing that decision process for them. And just, man, that gave me so much empathy mm. and and love for them that I got to learn so much from them about what that looks like whenever a woman is really in mm-hmm. just difficult circumstances and facing unplanned pregnancy. And I'm so grateful for the ways that the Lord used them to teach me um, about how we can come alongside women with compassion and love and grace and um, see the dignity in all people involved mm-hmm. in 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 that. So for the women, the woman that's facing it, that pregnancy, um, for the child in her womb, for the people that are around her, how mm-hmm. can we treat each person mm-hmm. with the dignity that is uh, owed to an image bearer of God? And mm-hmm. um, wow, that has been such a gift to me to through our pain, my most painful circumstances certainly, Mm. um, have, have had the opportunity to expand my understanding of God and, and, and the beauty of the teaching of his Mm. image bearerness that I think I didn't understand or see before. And so every person, um, as an image bearer has that inherent Mm. dignity. And so what, Mm-hmm. a fun thing to get to work in this space of caring about the human dignity of all people. Yeah. Uh, well, I loved when I, when I heard you read that in the book, I was like, this is the work she's doing. I <laughs> loved it so much. Um, love the work you guys are doing. Um, everything oh, that you thanks, and Michael are friend. doing and Sam for life, all the things. So thank you so much. You guys, this book is called beyond our control. Uh, Lauren and Michael wrote it, let go of unmet expectations, overcome anxiety and discover intimacy with God. So. Very, very good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, friend. I appreciate it.
The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.